0: Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show. It may well possess
1: a rudimentary intelligence.
2: I'm trying to think, but nothing happens.
1: And the great disturbance in the force. Hello, I'm Mr. Ray. Come on, Mark, like a job for me.
3: Where's the goodies? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. i bet you wouldn't have done anything like this if Mom and Dad were here. You filthy criminal. Excuse me while I whip this out. Go ahead.
0: Make my day. Here are your hosts, Douglas Viviani and David Cohen.
2: Listen to that unmistakable sound of jazz on Everything Old is New Again. This is Douglas Viviani with the ever-impressionable David Cohen. And uh, we are listening right there to Miles Davis, Autumn Leaves. This week we continue our conversation about jazz with Dr. Peter Weller, who knew Miles Davis himself. Peter Weller, a favorite guest of the show already, uh, can be seen currently on... The Lost Ship, and previously on RoboCop, through the uh, uh, Sons of Anarchy, uh, 24, Star Trek Into Darkness, uh, I would say that in that episode he uh, lost the battle with the infamous Khan. Uh, Welcome Peter uh, Weller, Dr. Peter Weller, please uh, start us up, Uh, could you tell us what you would suggest if you want us to get to know jazz in the form of Miles Davis? So. and
1: the most beautiful album again I just want to say get Miles at Carnegie Hall uh, you know the first one the first one introduces Tony Williams when he's 17 and Herbie Hancock when he's 21 and you'll hear my funny ballad nine sell by Starlight like his ballads oh my gosh man you talk about a whisper uh, it's like it's like a, it's like it's like snow falling,
2: man. And if, so you, if you're on. also just to harken back to Dizzy Gillespie, just if you're listening, trying to picture who this is, the fellow that you ever saw when he plays the trumpet and, and instruments like that, his cheeks blow up, if you're familiar with that. look like, like balloons. No. Right. And I, I saw a YouTube clip uh, in preparation of this interview of him playing with uh, with Louis Armstrong and I, somewhere around the 50s, I'd say. Uh, what a great clip. What great, great time to just tune into that. Now, I just want to turn it a little bit here and ask you a question, because I know that you're you're directing now more, and you're interested in uh, certainly many things, but directing. And uh, is it analogous uh, to sort of Italian Renaissance painter in that you're interpreting a story or a, that's already been in, in existence and written already, but you're putting your own artistic bend on it? Is that
1: something? Is that yes, kind of work it's, it's, for you? It's, it's an absolutely perfect analogy. Okay, I applaud you for for bringing that analogy. Yeah, directing. Uh, you know, and I love directing high-end television. People say. Isn't there a formula? Well, there is sort of a formula, but nowadays people are getting very, very loose with it. And yes, it is like a painter. It's like being a Botticelli or something like that. I don't but really say I'm akin to Botticelli. But, you know, people say, look, here's what I want. I want, uh, you know, Jesus in the corner. I want Moses throwing manna from the sky. You know, I want, like, is prophet Isaiah in the middle of it. I want, uh, and I want, like, you know, Roman soldiers. Okay, fine and that's you, you make it up so I go make it up and I go paint that picture so yeah All right, that's so, right and by the way the Renaissance guys we've got to get this straight which is uh, uh, beginners looking at art are going to Florence or Italy wherever Renaissance guys were told what to paint they were told what to paint. They didn't go. I have a vision like Picasso, and I think I paint, you know, a three cornered violin jumping out of a painting. They, the Renaissance guys were contracted and told what the subject matter would be.
2: Right, and they were and
1: rarely, unless you're Michelangelo, who was a really smart, smart, smart guy, one of the few who had a huge intelligence of somewhat of Latin and a whole lot of the of the both the Jewish and Christian Bibles. Could you tweak it? You were told by a patron what they wanted, and you had to direct the movie.
2: Which is the reason why I, I admire someone we spoke about last time. We cut, cut you off a little bit about it, and I want to dive into it just for a second is, is Giotto and, and what he did at the chapel at Padua, where, you know, and, and uh, that's his masterpiece, but you know, other works where the robes became alive, the faces had emotion. That, that sounds silly. But that was the first time that uh, even pr- an inclination that maybe perspective might be on the horizon too. Trying to make the faces kind of um, three D. If you could talk about that for a moment, I mean that he, if, if, I'm, if I'm right, I'm I'm just an amateur looking at this, but uh, and listening and reading about it, but um, it seems like he stepped out of the box there to to propel things a little bit forward uh, and bring the Renaissance around based on uh, you know kind of making making these pictures come alive, even though he was told what. To do, he still was able to add his own uh, unique uh, impression upon the the work.
1: Yeah, I, you know, you can't, one cannot, I, if I could speak to everybody in the world who was going to go to Italy to see, you know, Renaissance painting, to see the, the, the David, or to see, or go to Rome and see, you know, the Sistine you cannot overstress Giotto. You know, the guy is like, proclaimed by Leonardo and Leonardo's Paragonia and painting. It all starts with him. You know, I was embarrassed into finding out who Giotto was by the great cinematographer, I might have mentioned this before, Vittorio Storaro, arguably the guy who changed all of color photography. You don't know him from Apocalypse Now, Dick Tracy, Last Emperor, Sheltering Sky. He's the guy, when we were together in Japan, I asked him, what's your favorite painting? He says, have you seen Giotto? In Padua, have you seen Joto anywhere? I don't even know who Joto is. I said, he flips his Johnny Versace scarf, walks off. Says, "Well, we can't talk about painting." <laughs> I think he's a pretentious <laughs> idiot. I go chase this guy down. Yeah. I said, I said, you know. Vittorio, I said, I know you did. I, I know you did the Conformist. I know you did the films of Dario Argento. I know you did, you know, Apocalypse Now and every great color. I know you changed color. But what are you talking about? We can't talk about. It. He says, if you do not see Jotto, if you do not see the first guy to do a narrative, a complete narrative, a story, a movie, not just a single figurative icon, not just like you know something on wood that's beautiful. And you say, but wait a minute, where is that John the Baptist? Was that in the Negev? Is that, is that before he's getting going to be beheaded. I mean, you see Moses, what is that? Is that the servant from the rock? Is that man, you, you didn't, Nobody's telling you this story. And if Choto is the first guy to tell the complete soup to nuts story, essentially inspired by Franciscanism, then that was the first sect really to indemnify or enlist one listening to the story of the human Jesus rather than the all-powerful, you know, triumphant God Jesus. But look at the guy; as a humble dude and identify with his Humanity and his misery and his pain, then you'll understand more about what God is. Hell, man, I would have followed Francis around if he preached that to me. But that idea of telling a story, telling a narrative of Joto God, is a Franciscan idea because you don't have a story to tell until until you start really telling the story of Moses or Jesus. So, my thing is that when you see, like you said, when you see Joto attempt (coughs) a plasticity in the face, Crying, anger, fear, you know, the, the kiss between Anne and Joaquin, you know, negative space. Yes, Singapore perspective is on the horizon. You're absolutely right. Maybe it's the black death that stops it. But, but to make a movie out of something with the passion, drama, movement, space, nobody, nobody did that before Joto. Nobody. So they're not even heard of. The guys like from Mars. You know, there's like three of these guys, or maybe two. Maybe there's Giotto and Leonardo, with a little bit of Michelangelo thrown in. But it's like when you talk about Brando. I mean, Brando's out of the box hollywood The stuff that Brando invented on screen had about as much to do with Hollywood as The Man in the Moon, except for the fact that he was a contracted player to make money, you know, in a movie. But, but, or Miles. I mean, I hear this stuff that Miles plays sometimes. I hear stuff that Heifetz plays. Or not only that, I heard, like, uh, I watched, uh, I watched Who's the Amazing, Amazing, Amazing uh, Violinist. I can't remember his name, but you hear one of these, like, savants, or you see them, or you see Rembrandt's last self-portrait, you think, Where the hell did that come from, man? Because that's got nothing to do with anything that came before. I mean, yes, it does, but that's so far out of the thing.
2: Yes, that's what I would suggest is the full measure of genius. We'll go out in a few moments here, Peter, and come on back. There we are listening to uh, Miles Davis on the way out here. This is Everything Old is New again, talking all things jazz with Dr. Peter Weller. Come on back. I feel like I should get myself a scotch blonde and a cigar what do you think come on back
0: this is everything old is new again america's entertainment pop culture talk show with douglas viviani and david cohen
1: his small talk has altered foreign policy he once ran a marathon because it was on his way Sasquatch has taken a photograph of him he is the most interesting man in the world
2: Welcome back to Everything Old is New Again. We're talking about uh, Dr. Peter Weller, of course. Um, and I don't know if we can uh, challenge that on Everything Old is New Again with Douglas Viviani, David Cohen. Maybe the three of us are the most interesting men in the world, at least in our own minds. Anyway, we're talking about jazz, and we were examining genius and the genius of some of these jazz musicians. Peter, you had uh, wanted to discuss some um, story you had there uh, that I cut you off last section, so here we go.
1: I have Thanks. to tell you, I had a conversation once with Carrie Fisher, God bless her, and Paul Simon and my mentor Mike Nichols, just the four of us after I did a performance of uh, the wool gather they came to see it. and we were having an argument, essentially Paul and Michael, Mike Nichols were having a great argument in Mike Nichols' apartment uh, about Picasso. And because Mike had a small Picasso and Mike was defending the fact that there are certain people that have genius that the world to which the world cannot find a ground of being. And Paul, on the other hand, is a very realistic guy. I love him to death and he's a sweetheart. But he was saying, look, man, everybody's gifts comes from something. And that and to think that the gifts come from someplace else other than some organics is just endowing them with supercilious magic. And it was a great dialectic to hear them do, right? right? And I took Mike's point of view. I think there are people playing it on Earth who come along, who change the game, and we don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. Right, but then everything
2: old is not new again because they've created it uh, and, and we we'll follow That's it, right. So everything you
1: know? old is not new again. For them. Everything, everything old has always been new. Right. So, that, and, and,
2: and along those lines, I just wanted to bring it back.
1: Just See what was, you guys do? You start me thinking and then come up with... I get all, all upset and impassioned over all this stuff. Rolls of wisdom, yes. Love it.
3: <laughs> We like poking you with the stick, Peter. That's what we do. Oh, like man, you poke me,
1: man. I tell you. I love your show, man. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um,
2: just to finish the thought and finish this section, and we'll get back to jazz, but I just wanted to finish the thought was the idea that, all right, so now you've got a free thinker and someone that did something new, as we are just talking about there, now with emotions and faces. Now, do you try? Do you have any influence? Do you try? try to do that with the acting, how do you get some of these emotions from some of these actors that may uh, not think that they, you know, they've not seen it, they're just reading a line, how do you get them to emote, to, to get in there and dig up and say, listen, you've got to cry here, come on, get to it, you know.
1: How do you get Well, that? yeah, I, look, here's the deal. First, got to know whether or not it's possible in the actor, because you can't get blood from a stone. Right. And if they've cast this actor, or I've cast the actor wrongly, you're not going to get it. But then again, if you can get it and you know it's in the actor, in the human being, there are ways to get it. And one of the, the best way is to give them an action. Don't tell them the emotion. The, the emotion, you can't play the emotion, really. You can only play the action. I do a scene the other night because I'm also acting in this where I see my kid and, you know, he's all messed up. And um, it's very emotional. So I, I, I got to A, be by myself. I can't be talking to anybody. And B, I got to know what this action is. And the action is trying to like bring this kid back to life. Just try to save him. And the act of trying to save something brought out the emotion. You follow? Yeah. It's the a- actions that bring the feeling. And if an actor is not bringing it, <laughs> I got to give him adjustment according to make it active because all of drama's action and so I got to say look you got to like mess with this guy here man you got to mess him up you know I, I said what you got to like you got to empathy got to understand this person understand them or you got to like you know this is like a it's not betrayal you've got to tell this lie straight up to this person so I'm always giving them an action I'm never gonna have given them the emotion the emotion to play. Emotion is the result of it. And you can die on the vine trying to play an emotion. Like if I set up myself the other night, say, gee, i got to cry here, uh, I'd just be all, like, messed up. But if I, I know it is a privacy thing, where I have tried several times in my real life, I tap into my real life, mm-hmm. where I've tried to save someone. And, uh, you know, a couple of real times and couldn't. I mean, I start crying right now over the phone because... Mm-hmm. At a certain age, we all know people that are dead. At a certain age, we all know people that are dead by stupidity. And at a certain age, we all know people that we tried to help, save, cajole, wheedle, empathize, sympathize with, and who weren't going to listen to us and died. So that was a real easy substitution to make the other night. But the action is to try to save them. And, you know, the implausibility or the imperfections of that or the impossibility of doing it.
2: Will bring all the emotion. And we're hearing from the the artist perspective. Uh, the uh, uh, what I would suggest is the most interesting man in the world, Dr. Peter Weller, will be the present and future of jazz and the influence of Miles Davis. Or a little bit of uh, Duke Ellington in the sentimental mood.
1: Well, you had you had, you had the John Coltrane, Duke Ellington. That was John Coltrane in yes. that thing too, man.
2: Yeah. It's a great song. I wish I had time to play it. Yeah, I, I get like you know five seconds to introduce the audience to this. You
1: know, man, that's that's amazing. That I, think he did, I think he did that in the thirties. I think <laughs> it's thirty something uh, thirty five. Yes, oh, what a great tune.
2: Yeah, great stuff. I mean, uh, uh, you know, only
1: because you're on Duke Ellington, i just going to say that Duke Ellington's great. Uh, 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 the kid that there's a wonderful book that you guys should read called Lush Life, The Life and Times of Billy Strayhorn. And Billy Strayhorn was, you know, a diminutive, myopic, tubercular, gay genius. And they say, you know, if he wouldn't have been taken in by that man at 19 years old, he probably would have been dead by 25. Because he was just absolutely, uh, you know, um, not just... Sort of person that could survive, and he wrote "Take the A Train" on the A Train to go meet Ellington, right. and he wrote to "Lush Life," and he's just I don't know, but you know that particular time in the thirties when white people from downtown went up to Minton's uptown in Harlem, and uh, uptown people went down to 40th and Fifty Second Street. That must have been some time that <laughs> that renaissance of music. And Ellington is like a hero to me. I crashed his funeral. My my autobiography right now, which I. I keep writing on it. It's the day I crashed Duke Ellington's funeral and other riffs <laughs> by Dr. Peter Weller. And I crashed his funeral, man. So miles, uh, miles Davis, Milestones. Jeez, oh, You like that? You guys are really, really upsetting me by playing all this beautiful music.
2: <laughs> You're, and, and stopping it after 10 seconds. Why, why is it upsetting you, though, <laughs> if you loved it? Because
1: yeah. that music is like... Uh, you know uh, You walk around In the daytime And I got the car thing on And the shuffle going on And all that stuff But you know that, that Music doesn't come up All the time Right And you know I ain't got the time To just sit down Like I did When I was in high school Or college And so forth You know and, like, Yeah make those Just heaps Right of all Yeah the stuff pop a like. beer And let's go Listen, listen to Miles Davis Play milestone. Right stuff. So when when that All of a sudden That, stuff, that comes on uh, you, you grasp it you hold it you thrill to it you know and then it's like gone you know? yeah sorry but, uh, <laughs> won't be, won't no I gotta tell fired. you man yesterday yesterday you know I'm, I'm preparing to go th- do the scene uh, at last Ship in Culver Studios and I got my little boom box on with my shuffle thing on and up comes in a row I could not believe it Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young oh one of my favorites uh, Twisted Fate by Bob Dylan then another oh. Neil Young uh uh Cortez the Killer,
2: uh, then
1: another Bob Dylan Visions of Johanna. I got into Vision Johanna, which I would take to a desert island. I, I couldn't watch this is the rest of it; I was weeping. <laughs> so I said, "That fourth yeah. How could four songs come up like that out of my past?" And
2: that's the power, power of power of music, right? And I wanted to ask it you, Is isn't it? Yeah. Something, something, because we've just something tells me because you play the trumpet, something tells me that uh, uh, Dizzy Gillespie and uh, we were talking a little bit before about him, and and certainly Miles Davis had some influence upon you to play the trumpet. But tell us, if you can, a little bit about maybe starting with Dizzy Gillespie and, and the importance, and, and you were telling us about something about a funeral of his uh, off the air. Actually, Dr. well, we're going to have to hold off one second here on Everything Old is New Again. We're going to have to take a little bit of a commercial break. So we'll come right back on Everything Old is New Again to enjoy uh, the raconteur himself. A most interesting man in the world, possibly Dr. Peter Weller, talking on yet another topic of jazz and a personal experience he's had with Duke Ellington. Let's listen to a little bit of Duke Ellington's "Sentimental Mood." On the way out, on "Everything Old Is New Again." You're looking for us on the computer, "Everything Old Is New Again." Biz. Don't hesitate to call your local talk station and tell them you like us or you want us on "Everything Old Is New Again."
0: Now, back to America's Entertainment Pop Culture Talk Show, Everything Old is New Again, with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen.
2: Yes, we're talking to Dr. Peter Weller. We left off talking about how he crashed Duke Ellington's funeral. Okay, Duke Ellington. Is like, Duke Ellington was like a... Uh, because he had this guy,
1: Billy Strayhorn. And Billy Strayhorn really is the, his, 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 a composer, arranger, that because Ellington needed an arranger by the time he was touring a lot. But, and Lena Horne introduced... Uh, uh, Billy Strayhorn, Billy Strayhorn took modern American music out of the dance hall and put it in the in the concert hall, really. Because his music is sophisticated beyond dreams. So I started listening to the music of Billy Strayhorn, played by Duke Ellington and Duke Ellington's music, when I was nine with Miles. And he had a trumpet player who Miles emulated named Clark Perry genius trumpet player, and possibly the forerunner of Miles' sound. But is a legend in his own right. He played with Doc Severance in the Tonight Show Forever with Johnny Carson. He was in New York. And he was lead, he was the, the solo trumpet player with, uh, with Ellington. But Ellington, I grew up listening to Ellington, every single album Ellington made. And then I ended up crashing his funeral in 1971, man. And I'm looking at the cartoon right now of the guy who got me to do it he drew a cartoon that day and it's and it's me standing in a blue jean jacket with ray-bans and an Applejack cap and, and cowboy boots in the rain and just before i crashed his funeral
2: how do you crash your funeral how'd you get into that i
1: can't tell you, know? you man I, it was the, maybe the bravest thing i'd ever done So my roommate was a guy a kid named michael cornellison who was a great cartoonist and an actor, and he was this blonde-haired, blue-eyed Des Moines, Iowa, as you can imagine. And the last guy, this is a 1971, man. When you go to Harlem and you stand in front of St. John the Divine, now it's like white yuppies. Then you didn't go up into Harlem unless you had purpose. If you know, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I turned Michael on to jazz really quickly. I got him listening to everybody from the hipsters of Chicory and Herbie all the way back to Duke. Duke dies at Duke. He said, "Listen, you, we got to go to his funeral, man." I said, "Okay." It's raining out, Michael. What are we going to do? I said, "We." Put, he says, "Put on your Applejack hat and get an umbrella." We'll go. So there we go. Two white bread white boys, blue eyed. You know, you know, like you talk about standing out like a sore thumb, man. We are standing with the with the thousands in front of Saint John the Divine, the second largest church in the world, which is like five square blocks of a church limbo after limbo comes out. You know, there's Sarah Vaughn, there's Ella, there's like Miles, there's like Count Basie. They're all getting out, going in. And Michael, who's a new kid to it, because I've turned him on to it, and as if like everybody who's like a reformist or new to something is obsessive, he's got like thousands of dollars for the stereo stuff. (coughs) In my roommate, I didn't have the money for that stuff. So. He turns to me and he says, now listen, if it wasn't Michael Cornelson, I would have never done it. Because Duke Ellington is like at this point in time, 20, you know, I'm 23 years old. He's too much of a hero to me. I'm not going to crash the funeral. I haven't doubted him with too much. But Michael is just new to him. He says, we got to get in there. I said, you not got to get in there, man. There's cops everywhere and we're in Harlem, bro. He says, I'm going. And he starts up the street through the throng of people. I don't know where he's going. I'm following him. I said, where are you going? He walks three blocks up to the end of Lenox, 110th, or something like that. And we come to the rectory where the priests live of St. John the Divine. This is a huge Episcopal church. And it's the big rectory. (coughs) Pardon me. And he walks right into the rectory. I said, Michael, you can't go in the rectory of a church. <laughs> I sneak in after him. There's nobody in the rectory. In the halls of the rectory. He keeps walking. It, like, I, Mike, is not listening to a word I'm saying. He comes to the cloister. Big garden cloister, size of a football field, half a football field. Walks into the cloister, follow him into the cloister. And, and now we're either going to get shot or arrested. So we finally come to the end of the cloister. We are now at the apse. That's the back end of St. John the Divine, if you can imagine. We've walked around the whole church, and he goes downstairs to a fire escape. He is hearing nothing I'm saying. I am, like, <laughs> absolutely paranoid pansy at this point, and he goes into the basement of the church. I follow him in. He finds a fire ladder, a spiraling ladder that goes up to the back of the apse, and we come up to the back of the apse, and I can only remember that we were in here, hearing Billy Taylor playing something. And then we sneak around, and Basie is playing something. And we're looking up to the choir. If you can imagine something as big as St. Paul the Divine, or the synagogue in Budapest, or St. Peter's. Or, you know, uh, it's a massive church, whereby all of the, the, the draws, the homily, everything is given up up above on pulpits. Right, We're way down below. We come around this corner. I'm looking up at the pulpit. I see Billy Taylor playing, i standing behind a roped-off area, it says Musicians Only, and by God if it isn't every musician living that ever played with Duke Ellington. <laughs> and they're all there, man, it's like, I don't know, and Clark and everybody, man. And up on the thing is the family and Daisy. and then I hear Leonard Feather come, Nat Head Off says something, then Basie plays something, and we, we're right at the end of it, and then at this, Leonard Feather says, as, the, as we go out... Uh, we will have a dirge sung and I look up man it's like 10 feet above me man and Ella Fitzgerald comes forward and she sings in my solitude that like at about you know a quarter beat to a minute man which is like in my solitude herself with no accompaniment man oh, i'm wow. standing there looking up at her, weeping and all this church man all these heroes to me like are crying and there is ella in front of me about 10 feet above me singing that tune straight up wow.
2: there's a will there's a way man you, you, your buddy took you there and uh, you'll never i know that.
1: man my buddy took me there and then you know what he said i'm sitting there and people are, like crying the whole thing's like a bull roar of tears and sadness and I'm sitting there crying, I said, I can't believe, man, I'm thinking of my mother and everybody that ever gave me any music and they gave me any gifts and I wish my mother was here. And then my, my Michael Cornu says, he t- taps her on the back and says, we got to get the hell out of here, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then we bolted out the way we came.
2: Good training for a 24,
3: I guess you'd say, so, selfies. I don't
1: know, man, but we got out on the street, we were jumping up and down in <laughs> the rain, man. So
3: how long, how long were you actually there listening to this?
1: 25 minutes. Wow. We're okay. Billy Taylor, Basie, We had two um, uh, eulogies, twenty-five, maybe forty.
3: Okay, that's the whole thing
1: bad. was probably you know like I don't know an hour and a half. Right, And we would missed half of it, but we certainly saw half of it, man. That's yeah, okay. it was just it was just phenomenal, man. I mean, like if I you know, but here's the beautiful part: I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for that guy, right. Right, right. I, I, I'd have never gone there, man. I, I just would have been too much. It was just too powerful to me.
2: That was the payback. You got him into jazz. He paid you back by... Uh, that
1: was his payback. I never thought about that. Yeah. That's how he, he paid he me back, yeah. And, you know, and then he immediately drew that cartoon and it's sitting right above my uh,
2: computer. That's great. That's tremendous. That's now, tell me, uh, you you play out. I mean, you got to be busy. How often do you play out? Where do you play out? I just out? played a
1: gig on Saturday, and a bunch of great people sat in, including Corey... Pezulato, Petz, the world's best jazz accordionist. He huh. came in and sat in. So I played a gig on Saturday night.
2: Is there is there a certain spot you you can reveal that you go to, or is it something?
1: Yeah, yeah. We played at a, a club, uh, a private club in Beverly Hills. Jeff Goldblum. I used to play all over the place, and Jeff, I think, still plays at a certain place. And I love Jeff so much. he's, he's trying to get his kid into school. I go, but we uh, we just don't bump into each other mm-hmm. enough. Right. So I got my group fly naked. He's got his group the Mildred Schnitzer Orchestra. But we play once in a while together. So I play at the Grand Havana Room in Doverna Hills.
2: You got a, you got a, it's a, a uh, supper
1: club. It's a it's a real sit down elegant supper club with cigars and all that and high end people and big
2: tippers. And I'll have to next time I'm there. I'll I'll have to uh, sneak in and take a look. and No, man, I'd love to be my guest.
3: <laughs> Maybe Doug and my I, I will crash. Well, let you crash the funeral. We'll crash the uh, the, the supper That's club. That's what, you're what playing. i was
2: thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly appreciate that that, that offer. I, I may take you up, you never know down the line. No,
1: so you've uh, got to do it. You got to it because it's one place you can't crash because you got the likes of, you know, Mel Gibson and Schwarzenegger and the uh, Mayor and everybody else It's like you know, members there and they you know, like people are crashing it. But you also got plumbers, electricians, and everybody else. So. Well, where are, we'll wear our legal. shirts. There's with a law the... that nobody talks about business.
2: What we'll do is we'll wear oh, our right. Everything Old is New Again shirts with the logo on it. So that'll get us right Yeah, in. do that. That'd be great. I want <laughs> one. Free. I want one. <laughs> I will definitely find out. I'll talk to you people. I'll find out where to send you one. I'll definitely do that for sure. Okay, we're going to take a break here now and continue our conversation with Dr. Peter Weller, with David Cohen, Douglas Viviani, and Everything Old is New Again. We'll continue talking about the future of jazz when we return.
0: This is Everything Old is New Again, America's entertainment pop culture talk show with Douglas Viviani and David Cohen.
2: Welcome back to Everything Old Is New Again. That's a little taste of Miles Davis on Everything Old Is New Again.biz. If you want to find us on the internet, find some old shows. You can write to us. Uh, there's a There, click on uh, the tab and feel free to shoot us a note. Otherwise, oldnewagain at aol.com. Let us know how you're enjoying our conversation with Doctor Peter Weller about all things jazz. Now it's time to turn our attention to the future of jazz dr wella what do you uh, what do you ascribe to to that with regard to the future of jazz at this point in time with regard to the future of jazz in my view floundering a little bit as far as mainstream people knowing someone mainstream uh, and and maybe being able to hook into something uh do, do you see uh, anything on the horizon that you may want to turn us on to or to give us a hint as to where it's going it's a hard question i know
1: no, I don't. I don't. I mean, you know, it's all so been taken by, well, taken my, up by, by <laughs> house music and so forth. And I right. just hear a lot of great players nowadays. But I don't know where the idiom is going.
2: I think yeah. David has a little hint here because he's got
3: a son that's with uh, seventeen. Yeah, right? my, my my son is a he's he's a saxophone player. Oh, really? Yeah, he's he's studying. He's actually studying with Winton Marsalis uh, in Jazz Lincoln Center a student program that he's in there. He's at the student program at. Center. He's playing in Winton's band on the weekend of May 19th You're and 20th. Me. No, no. So, this is really cool. Uh, Winton actually hand-selected him to play in a band that Winton's putting together with some members of his own band and some Juilliard students and a couple of high school kids. My son was one of the couple of high school kids that, that he selected. They're going to do a whole evening, two shows of uh, Duke Ellington and Count Basie. So when I told my son that I, we were going to talk to you and you were you were a trumpet player into jazz, he said, "Oh, okay, yeah, I, I I know who Peter Weller is. Yeah, ask him." So so my son knows all these current trumpet players, and he wanted me to ask. Ask you if you knew any of them because he's a big proponent of you know not just becoming a musician himself but like Winton is trying to do get jazz into back into the mainstream on his behalf have you heard of any of these trumpet players current trumpet go. players here we go you know he said ask him if he, if he's heard of Roy Hargrove okay
1: stop. Okay. Roy Hargrove is a Dallas guy like me Roy Hargrove is he's my favorite trumpet player living uh, there's something oh, about Roy Hargrove that's got both sophistication and blues not unlike Charlie Parker in it and the guy's like a gift, a gifted and also his drummer Willie Jones third played with me and Jeff in our band oh, wow. so yes I've not only heard of Roy, Roy Hargrove but I gotta say he's my favorite trumpet player right now
3: oh that's great I'll let him know his son's on the game yeah he's uh, Nick Payton Ryan Kaiser
1: Nick Payton is he plays too many notes for me, but Nicholas Payton is like a virtuoso savant, a little too busy for my taste, but I'd rather dig him, man. I dig him. Who else?
3: And one, two other guys. One is Ryan Kaiser.
1: You know, I heard of the cat, but I, I, I've never heard him play, man. And is he like... Is he supposed to be great? What did your, your kid say?
3: Yeah. He says he's he's probably one of the premier uh, trumpet players right now. I think yeah, no, he, he, is. he skews a know he You know
1: what? i got to say, I'm, I, this is a reverse racist. He is a, a reverse racist. It's rare that uh, that I listen to white guys. Yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, I had a great friend of mine, a wonderful studio musician who's not with us anymore, man. And he could stand in a room and go and listen to, like, anybody playing. And he would go... uh Oh, he's terrific, terrific. White guy, but terrific. <laughs> and I said, how do you know he's a white guy? He come on, you know he's a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I go, yeah, okay, okay. Well, listen, you can only say that with jazz musicians. Right, like, right, no right. Exactly. I, got into, I got into trouble just as a, with a, with a, a black uh, Englishman, and I had to make up apologies. You got to say that I was raised in an integrated world in the United States Army, and also I had an imposter mother. So I didn't really know of segregation until I went to public schools in Texas, Louisiana. In my day, black people were not allowed to take the same. I mean, it was despicable. It was like we were living under a rock, man. They weren't allowed to go to the same movie theaters. And Here I come from the United States Army where everything's integrated into this milieu of horror. And thank God that turned around. But the deal is that like, there's a saying with black guys in jazz. I've known him since before he was white. You know what that means?
3: <laughs> well, tell us. Yeah, tell us.
1: But you got an idea what I mean? Yes, yes. Before he became commercial, before, before he made right, any money. Right. Be, I knew him when he was a hipster. I knew him <laughs> when he was like, you know, playing the real deal. So I said that, I was talking about that with two black guys. Another black guy walks up and he's a very kind of staid, gentrified dude from London and he took offense to it. And I, even though I contextualized it, so I had to go up and said, "Listen, man, this is a jazz idiom. It's invented by black guys, about black guys, and it's a and jazz is a black idiom. It's a black, it's the it's the gift of black America to the world. Right. Jazz, to my money. And if that isn't it, it's bourbon. So I explained it to him, and then he understood it because he doesn't know jazz, he doesn't know the world of it. So I really stepped out of that thing. But anyway, Ryan Kaiser is yes, well known. And I gotta say, I've not really sat down and listened to the dude, and I got to. I, I okay, him. and he suggested
3: he suggested one more. If you haven't heard this guy, listen to him. He goes by just his first name, Ambrose. And yeah, I
1: bet, Ambrose is another dude. dude. What does your kid think of Ambrose? He
3: like he likes Ambrose. My son, he, he he's very accepting of all kinds of styles, and you know, he he, he appreciates some players more than others. But I haven't heard him say, yeah, I, I can't listen to this guy or I don't really like it. Because you remember, my son is 18, so he, he's still... Yeah, but
1: know, 18 is the age, man. I mean, you know, Ambrose. Yeah. He's a monster. He What's you're, your son's name? What's your son's name?
3: Ben. So it's Ben Cohen.
1: Okay. Well, tell Ben, I certainly appreciate him asking me about that, and I'm so happy that he in your family... See, that's how jazz persists, that yeah. somebody in the family plays it. Like Howard Gordon... One of the founders of X-Files of 24, a dear friend of mine, of Tyrant, a a guy who studied with Joyce Carol Oates in Princeton. Okay, his kid, I played with his kid in Africa, in Egypt, uh, right before the Arab Spring to celebrate Obama's one-year anniversary of the speech he made in Cairo. And his kid is like, I mean, you'd think like, okay, Howard Gordon is like, lives in L.A. This kid is born and raised in L.A. How is he going to get hip? Okay, this kid is a gifted, gifted jazz pianist. I mean, gifted, hmm. Micah. And I said, Howard, this is how jazz persists, because somebody in the family of literature or something or media or whatever has a kid who has, a, who has an ear for it. Who has an ear for it it takes it up. And even if you're even even if Ben, like me, uh, goes through a whiplash experience, and goes, look, I can't do this the rest of my life. He's going to be playing all his life and his kids are going to get it. So the, the idiom is never going to die. And God bless Whitten man, for acculturating it such that more and more and more uh, scholars can hear it and, you know middle american he can't get it on, on, on television
3: yeah i mean wint Marsalis' jazz at lincoln center program the outreach to to uh to kids in, in new york city and the surrounding areas is has been around for about 20 years it's a tremendous program uh, he's, Huge. he he and his and the players in his band all teach all are really involved with the kids they act as mentors to the kids um and, and it's it, it's just amazing it's just amazing what he's doing and and it's it's unfortunate i i think as far as i know you know it's very localized in new york city in terms of this outreach program i'm just hoping that it continues to spread across the country as well
2: peter you you keep on playing you, you spread it on the uh the the west coast and uh and we'll have david son spread it on the east coast and we'll <laughs> we'll meet somewhere Good in between deal. you know uh again thank you so much for your time
1: the words of Duke Ellington, i love you madly ah
2: uh, <laughs> There we go. We we'll, we we'll, love we'll you back. It's neutral, and we certainly appreciate the time. Thank you ever so much. Uh, you betcha. We're we're looking forward to uh,
1: to. A Let me know when you're coming here, man.
3: I definitely we'll will. we Will do. All, All right.
2: right, and we'll send you that shirt for sure. We're gonna go out on Miles Davis, Davis' Autumn Leaves and get you upset for a minute, and then uh, right. and say good night. Thank you. Good night. Goodbye. Right. Thank you so okay. much. I
1: right, take. I'll back do we next week. More
2: of Thank you again, Peter, so much. Enjoy the day.
1: Hey, Doug David. God bless you both. Peace.
2: Absolutely. Same to those. you. Good. great Bye bye. You. Take care. <laughs>